Hey everyone, welcome to episode 164 of the End Focus podcast. I'm your host Andy Corrigan. With me, as always, is Andrew Brown. Hello, and Tori Wassana. Hello. And we've got a, an unexpectedly packed week this week. Uh, we're going to have uh, Tori give us her final thoughts on Neo Tui, uh, The World Ends With You. We're going to talk about the Pokemon Presents uh, video thing, uh, direct thing that happened during the week. Uh, I'm going to talk about Doom 64, Quake, uh, Football, Tactics and Glory, and Necrobarista. And uh, Andrew's going to give us the lowdown on... Greek Memories of Azure. Uh, So with that, let's just get right into those updates from the previous episode. Okay, Tori, just uh, you this week, and you've finished Neo, The World Ends With You. How how did you go on that one? So overall, absolutely adored it. One of my pet peeves with whether it's movies or TV shows or video games, when people go, you just have to stick it out. It's slow at the start, you know, that sort of thing. Once I got to a certain point, it was right after when I talked about it last episode, it starts unlocking some features because it it unlocks features for you pretty much consistently throughout the game up to a certain point. Mm -hmm. And then it started unlocking things that felt very quality of life that, you know, it felt, I think I said it before that they're creating problems and then giving you the solution to them as if it's worth the unlock. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things is moving around town. If you press um, the dash button to the time of the music that's playing, you move around the city faster. It's really cool. <laughs> um, and then everything started clicking with the whole pins system it unlocked the feature to be able to double up on buttons so you could have multiple characters each character has a different pin associated to a button and you could overlap those button inputs before they had to be separate inputs you couldn't have two characters on say the y button and now you can you also unlock up to six character characters in your party so you kind of need to do that otherwise you're kind of holding your switch in like a claw grip trying to hit all six buttons. Uh, I really like the combos that you could make out of them. Some of the pins were hold and area of effect. Some of them were like lasers. Some of them were like a, you keep tapping to perform a combo. They all have different cooldowns. They all have different affinities as well. And I, I somehow went through most of the game not realizing that the affinities could hit certain weaknesses much like, say, Pokemon with type weaknesses and the like. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of depth with kind of mixing that up with the gear that you can collect in the game. It's like, basically, it's its own version of armor. Each character can have five bits of armor and they can all have certain affinity boosts as well or specific character trait uh, stat boosts. Not that I wrapped my head around it entirely, but it really did add a lot more to my experience when I started thinking about it a lot more. Mm-hmm. I went into it thinking it was just going to be like a sort of button mashing game, but yeah, there's a lot of strategy that you have to employ in battles as well. I think it's, it hasn't quite got the right pacing at the start of the game to introduce the mechanics to you in a way that wraps your head around it the way that it's going to be played by the end of the game. It feels very button mashy. Just keep pushing buttons while you can to defeat the enemies. Mm -hmm. It's just, uh, I I don't think it really teaches you how to play the game the way that it wants to be played properly. I I think this is a thing common with a lot of Square JRPGs, like since the 360 era, where um, it teaches you new stuff throughout the entirety of the experience rather than just in the first couple of hours. Um, which is where everyone gets this idea that uh, you know most of the game is a tutorial thing, where it's like, no, I think they're restricting things to help vary the experience and make you still feel like you're learning new things. Um, yeah, so it, which, which of, I'm all of... for, but like they they've just got the order wrong. Maybe mm-hmm. they should have had more of the stuff to do with um, 
teaching you what the battles are really going to feel like, give you a taste earlier on. Because you, you kind of have to shift gears to really play properly. Because mm-hmm. um, it feels like a superficial battle system at first, but then there's actually a lot of strategy to positioning and dodging and um, prioritizing targets that it just doesn't mm-hmm. really give you a, a gist of. Yeah, that's fair. I've definitely played RPGs where uh, it lets you progress at a certain level and then all of a sudden just ramps up the the strategy element it's like whoa you haven't prepared me for any of this so yeah yeah i I can definitely see where you're coming from with that too uh there was a difficulty spike and the difficulty spike wasn't so much me um not being leveled up enough it was me not knowing how to approach the combat properly um there was an enemy that went invisible and couldn't be targeted and i didn't even know it was there because it was invisible so you had to start thinking because it auto locks onto targets you can't unlock, you can't kind of like free cam it. So you had to kind of line up where you think the invisible enemy was and attack it that way, which makes it visible and targetable. It's really indirect and it doesn't really teach you that stuff uh, directly. A little disappointing, but at the same time, the end of the game, when you've kind of mastered the combat and you can think much more about the combinations of pins and gear, it is worth it. It's extraordinarily fun by the end of it. Mm-hmm. It's just, I, I wish it gave you a proper taste of what it really was going for earlier on because mm-hmm. it just throws it at you. Mm-hmm. Um, but what one thing I did really appreciate is that you can go back and play previous days and chapters and you can kind of miss this, um, pick up the stuff that you missed but the really cool thing is even though that the enemies are lower level and easy to defeat, it doesn't affect the XP gains that much. So you can go back and defeat any easier enemies, but you can also adjust your level. You could lower your level and it increases the drop rate of uh, items like pins. That's pretty cool. I love that flexibility. Um, yeah. The original Bravely Default where you could change the encounter rate and the, the speed and... Yeah, all that kind of stuff. Love that, Um, especially in, like, huge games like this. It was also really fun. Last night I found myself kind of exploring Shibuya on Google Maps just trying to find all the places from the game. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, It's a really accurate representation of Shibuya from what I can tell. Oh, and the music picks up really nicely. It's a really stylish game. Highly recommend it. Just expect to kind of challenge yourself to really look into how the battle system works before it creeps up on you. That's my biggest complaint. And honestly, it wasn't a deal breaker. It was, it got close, but I decided to push through it. And I can definitely say that it is worth it. If you could find yourself getting stuck, um, reach out to me and I'll help as much (laughs) as I can. But yeah, overall loved it. Nice. Um, I, I may as well just add on to a bit here. I uh, so I finished Link's Awakening uh, a couple of days ago. Just yeah, reiterate what I said last week. Just I love that game so much, and is one of my favorite games of all time. Let alone my favorite two D Zelda game. Uh, and I did what I said, and I've gone straight into uh, a Link to the Past. But, but hold on, hold on. Did you actually bother to do the Chamber Dungeon this time? No, I didn't bother with it. Yeah, I still haven't done it either. <laughs> the um, the damp stuff, nah. I miss the color dungeon now that you mentioned that. Um, <gasps> I think I caught that in the original playthrough, yeah. so I'm not not too stressed about it. Can you build your own? Nah, nah. Didn't engage <laughs> with that. It's it's rubbish. Yeah, so I went straight into uh, a link to the past, and uh, yeah, loving that again. Um, I don't have quite the same muscle memory for that one as I do with Link's Awakening so I've, I've had a couple of moments where I've been a little stuck and like even quite early on uh, and one of them was entirely my fault because I just missed a bit of dialogue that said I had the Pegasus boots but that yeah <laughs> got there eventually um yeah just gonna play through that and then um the next Zelda I play will be Breath of the Wild when the OLED switch hits so looking forward to that one yeah Okay, well, let's uh, check in with all the uh, Pokemon news. 
Okay, so this week there was a uh, Pokemon Presents, uh, mainly focusing on Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl. I've got Sapphire in the show notes for some reason. Nice. It's Pearl, right? It is Pearl. Yep, cool. There were also uh, updates for uh, Pokemon Cafe and Unite, but no one really cares about those. Although you were playing Unite, weren't you, Tori? A little bit, but I haven't played it since. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so uh, yeah, no, I don't think anyone really cares about that. And Lord knows I don't care about Pokemon Go anymore. Um, Thanks, Pandemic. That was the best thing you ever did for me. Oh, yeah. We went into lockdown right as they released all the new Gala Pokemon. So that's been a pain. (laughs) And, uh, well, to be honest, when, when the whole COVID thing first kicked off, big time worldwide as soon as i was working from home i just stopped playing it altogether and i had that um same relief that i did when i eventually stopped playing uh, animal crossing where it's just like whoa big relief of not having to spend time just doing this thing that i've been doing autonomously for years now but yeah so the the main events really were uh the Extra stuff for Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl. And, of course, Pokemon Legends Arceus, where we got a better look at what the the game's actually about. Um, Safe to say everyone was a bit more positive about the Diamond and Pearl stuff this time around. Uh, There was a lot of discussion with the reveal about the art style and the character models. Um, Just gauging the sense of the internet, everyone seemed a bit happier with that. Uh, Tori, you were the most hesitant about the, the art style um any change in that from you with this it looks a lot better in that they've applied textures rather than flat colors to things mm-hmm. um i still just really don't like that chippy style because you can tell that they're emulating the style of the sprites from the original game but they mm-hmm. only had the sprites because of technical limitations this is a yep. chance to get out of that and they haven't taken it I don't know. Um, I assume you've played the the originals. Yeah. Uh, I got quite an attachment to them as well, because that's when I got back into Pokemon, was with Diamond mm, and Pearl. Okay. Yeah, I uh, I only came on board the Pokemon train with Black and White when I got a, a D, uh, 3DS. Yeah, so I'm, I'm looking forward to playing these, but in, in the sense of, like, I kind of know exactly what I'm going to get from it. So I'm not excited for it, but I'll, I'll be happy to play it when it hits. They did announce some uh, new stuff, I think, anyway. The the, the underground stuff, that's, that's all completely new, isn't it? Uh, the underground itself isn't. Um, but the new stuff, like, uh, there are, like, dungeons down there now that have Pokemon mm-hmm. encounters, depending on what statues you have in your hideout. I don't know. That that might be good for like a ongoing endgame thing, maybe. Because apparently these don't yeah. have like a online ranked mode anymore. Yeah, it's a, it's a um, that thing where it's like, cool. I appreciate this is there, but I'm probably never going to engage with it outside of what it forces me to. Yeah, I swear there was another Pokemon game that had something similar. It might have been Gen Seven, like Sun and Moon, where there were dungeons based on like friend codes or something i can't remember exactly oh so it's a safari zone in um let's go yeah yeah that's right are you going to be getting this one tori yeah but i'm not excited for it (laughs) i'll just play it because consumerism (laughs) Uh, andrew i'm going to assume you're out on this one based on your complaints of pokemon fairly recently yeah, I didn't care about this. I didn't even pay attention. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, and then the the big uh, event really was the the broader showing off of Pokemon Legends Arceus. Um, yeah, like none of us really knew what this was, other than it looked in the teaser a little bit like Breath of the Wild, um, and it, just the the whole vibe of the game kind of struck me as like a pacifist monster hunter. Uh, with the Breath of the Wild style world, but with the you know the traditional Pokemon battles and uh, well, no, the capturing isn't really traditional, but yeah, um, kind of kind of a, a midway between a pacifist monster hunter and uh, a kind of exploration of Breath of the Wild. They showed a lot more of this than I was expecting them to. I know it's kind of out 
early next year. I was half expecting a delay. Uh, I still think that's probably possible, but um, yeah, um, I'm excited for this. It seems to be like the the big change that Andrew was looking for. Um, he might uh, go against that. I'm not sure what you thought of it, Andrew. Well, all I wanted to see was footage of this running at a better frame rate, which they <laughs> delivered, so that's great. Um, graphically, it's not that impressive, really. Like, if you look at the grass and the trees, they're using some pretty old tricks there, and I, I've complained about Game Freak in the past, how it's, it still feels like they're existing in a portable world. Like, they, I don't know. I don't work there. I can't accuse them of things, but it seems to me like they don't know how to develop for consoles they they're still thinking that they're <laughs> making portable games i kind of mm-hmm. see that from the graphical quality of the game or it might just be a freaking huge game and uh that's what it has to look like for it to run on this hardware we'll mm-hmm. find out and still excited to play it uh like some of the changes i'm seeing like how the pokemon will actually directly attack the trainer now and so you have to dodge out of the way versus you mm-hmm. know just immediately blacking out which was <laughs> I understand why that mechanic exists in the mainline series, but it's it's silly when you think about it. Kind of concerned about all the the missions that were in there. It showed up briefly, like they showed a, a screen of all the missions you could do with the Bidoof. You got to see like the Bidoof do do a certain attack a certain number of times. It's like they still haven't shown us really what the main goal of the game is, if it even mm-hmm. has like a main plot line, or if it's just a wander around and, you know, fill the Pokedex in kind of game. Uh, I'm a little worried it's going to get kind of grindy. That's my yeah, main concern it, right now. It, it seemed like it had a, an interesting core story, um, but I don't, we'd, we're not clear on that gameplay loop yet. Um, and it seemed a bit confusing about is, is the core gameplay loop that you're going out and investigating and then you know, finding out about the Pokemon before trying to capture them? Or is it something else entirely? Uh, I don't think they're clear on it yet. Agree with you about the graphics. Like, it's, it's definitely not as good as Breath of the Wild as that direct comparison. We probably should well, stop making that comparison, but... Um, I've actually been replaying Breath of the Wild on my 4K TV. I didn't have a 4K TV the first time I played it. I, just had a, I think I had a 720p at the time. It was not an impressive HD TV. Mm-hmm. Breath of the Wild, I'm seeing a lot of things in it. I'm like, oh, that doesn't look good at all. Like uh, the things off yeah. in the distance, they're they're looking like blurry. And I'm like, did they change the game since the last time I played it? Because I, I don't remember it looking this bad. <laughs> but uh, it's still a great game. I still love it. Yeah, I, th- I think the problem is um, Switch's 1080p Max and 4K TVs don't always scale. Yeah. If that I went will. back, to, if I went back to my old TV, it would probably look great again. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I expect it's going to look utterly beautiful on a OLED screen. So, <laughs> Tori, uh, how are you feeling on this one? Tentatively excited. Um, game Freak are definitely not playing to their strengths with this game, and I can appreciate them trying to, something new, but they don't have the best track record. Mm-hmm. But what I've seen so far is impressive. Um, a game with the graphics, they don't blow me away, but I don't think this is a game where I'm going to be playing for the graphics. It looks, like you said, like a open-world Pokemon game. I thought it was interesting how they've approached the battles, where it's more like a um, almost a time-based thing, mm-hmm. where you're kind of queuing up attacks. And the faster your Pokemon, the more likely it is that they'll get multiple attacks in a row before the enemy does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like a, a more um, more effort on a JRPG strategy system rather than just the, the simple uh, type system. Yeah. Like abilities like the quick attack might actually be useful now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the the whole thing of it's it's in Sinnoh, but it's not called Sinnoh yet. It's uh, Hisui. Mm-hmm. I thought that was odd. I thought it would have been a great time to introduce regional forms for previous regions. Mm-hmm. But they've just renamed it. So it's... <laughs> I don't know if this counts as a new generation of Pokemon or not. Uh, I, I dig the uh, the new takes, or old takes, rather, on some of those Pokemon. Uh, the, the Growlithe was funny. I love uh, the Growlithe. 
looked like it was uh, just as likely to write a concerto as it was to attack you. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, Stantler. <laughs> yeah, was it weirdier? Yeah. And that was like an evolved Stantler, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if there's going to be a Hisuian Stantler or if it's just going to evolve from a regular Stantler. I, I think that regional forms have been one of the best additions to Pokemon in recent years. Mm-hmm. Kind of remixing the older designs. Not just Kanto ones as well. Again, tentatively excited. I hope they can pull it off. I actually really like the idea of that Pokedex where you're having to meet certain conditions. It makes mm-hmm. sense in the theme of the game of making the first Pokedex. I, I think this is the evolution that Pokemon really needed, and if they pull it off, I this is the direction they keep going in. Yeah, like if this is a big success, is this does this become the mainline series approach, or will they just double down on having their mainline uh, cut and paste structure? I really hope they yeah just try something new. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so that, that's it. I don't think anyone else had anything interesting around the the Pokemon Presents. I had very yeah. few feelings about it overall. Where's Pokemon <laughs> sleep? <laughs> it sleeps with the fishes. Oh. So yeah, so with that, uh, let's move on to the things we've been playing. Okay, it's one of those uh, unusual weeks where I've played a lot and uh i think only andrew has anything new to offer this week so uh, i've got four things so we'll just uh sandwich andrew in the middle of it just to break up the monotony of me um let's start with the old school shooters so uh i promised i would play necro barista this week i've had a a tired week so i didn't really feel like uh playing a visual novel for a large part of it so i i opted into Doom 64, which um, has been on my Switch for a while. Uh, I think I just finished Doom 2 around when it came out, uh, and I was just ready for a break from the Doom formula. Having gone back to Doom 64, I'm I'm thinking this is my favourite of those classic Dooms. I'm most of the way through it now. I reckon I'll have it finished in, in the next couple of days, depending on when I play it. Um, so far, every level has been great. Um, and I f- feel like this one st- strikes a better balance between the action-heavy levels and the puzzle-focused levels. Um, the other thing that the N64 version gave it over the Classic Dooms was uh, different visuals. Some might argue whether they're better or not. I think think they're better. Uh, definitely more detailed and uh, and easier to tell what's happening along with them. Andrew's added a show note here to say purple because there is a lot of purple especially in those early levels. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just have, having a blast really. Uh, um, I, I certainly wasn't expecting to play it and come across a new gun for the series which is like a a demon created laser gun. Unmaker. Uh, that's fun. Yeah, that's the one. Um, yeah, that wasn't in the... Uh, in the originals, so if they were, I didn't find it. It's also upgradable. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Don't spoil it. That's interesting. <laughs> I think you've both played Doom 64 in the past, if not recently. Yeah, I played it two years ago. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. I think it's my favourite of the classic Dooms. Mm-hmm. It's like it, I reckon if I played this as a kid when it first came out, it would have scarred me because it is <laughs> it does do the horror feel much better than doom one and two uh, i will say i don't think there's enough like just dark spaces um i've had two one where it's just been pitch black one where it's very stroby um yeah and i feel like the first one had a lot more of those horror spaces it's um, a lot to do with the soundtrack which mm-hmm. is very ambient and eerie. Mm-hmm. That's true. Um, love the imps on this one. Yeah. Purple. <laughs> and buttholes everywhere. You would just not have expected that 
in on a Nintendo console. <laughs> <laughs> I actually played uh, this in VR. What? Um, there's a a free mod that you can get for the Oculus Quest. Wow. To okay. load Doom sixty four into it, and it is actually terrifying. I feel like that would be uh, chunder fodder. You're not as much as you think. You can um, Doom one and two definitely. Doom sixty four is a bit slower, a little bit slower. Yeah, it it really has a different vibe. Doom one and two feel like uh, arcade games. Doom sixty four mm. feels like a more intentional horror experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I yeah. On the back to the level design, I just um, it's just consistently great, and I I was because I'd never played it, and I had no concept to what it was. I, in my head, it was always just uh, like a Doom remaster. Um, so delighted to find out that it's all completely new levels as well. And this re-release actually has an extra chapter that's meant to bridge it between that era of Doom to the 2016 remake. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, I'll, I look forward to checking some of those out. Uh, yeah, th- sort of nearing the uh, the 30s set of levels now, and I think there was like mid-30s, uh, like 32, 34 levels or something. I, I forgot now. Um Sounds yeah, about right. uh, yeah, loving it so far. Now, uh, so moving on, uh, it was uh, QuakeCon this week, and they surprise dropped a Quake remaster um, on pretty much all formats. So it's 4K on all the other major formats, 1080p on the Switch. Now, I've been a big fan of Doom my entire life. I have only ever played Quake 4 on my Xbox 360, which I only bought because it was £5. Um, and my memory of it is that it was a definitely a game made in the Doom 3 engine, but just faster paced. There's um, a Quake 4? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's good. It's good too. Yeah, so starting it, like, my reductive statement here is it's pretty much Doom, but in a more obviously 3D space in that you can actually aim up and down <laughs> um the handling and the the game feel of it is very close to doom obviously you can do 3d aiming as i just said um playing on the switch the precision feels weird at first i think part of that is to do with the the auto aim like this this series i feel is famous for you know the twitch shooting and it's like uh like the precision of the mouse is quite key to that experience however um i turned off the auto aim and i'm having a a much better time with it and it feels less weird i did that like half an hour ago it's still a bit like doom in that you only really need to aim roughly in the area of where the enemy is to land the hit but yeah i I can only imagine what it's like uh playing on the pc version Uh, i picked up a key not long ago for a couple of dollars um, and you get the upgrade with that so i should probably do a comparison at some point um the only real takeaway that I have from the gunplay at the moment is that enemies feel a bit more uh, media than in Doom. Um, they take a lot more to take out. Um, also, they have that little uh, knockdown animation, which makes you think that you've taken them out of the equation and, and yeah. they get back up and, and they're on you again. Yeah, but it's 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 pretty much Doom in a in a 3D space, you know. Um, with a, a nail gun. Space. Yeah, with, with a nail gun. The thing I wanted to raise really is the story, because is there even one? Um, it hasn't communicated anything to me. I started off on like a space compound or something, and now I'm fighting weird creatures, zombies and knights in a castle, and I have no idea why or what the transition was. I could be the invading force here. These these creatures might be very peaceful and pleasant normally. I don't know. Um, and that's something that I think classic Doom setting does a lot better like its setting does a lot of the heavy lifting of you know being on mars and you have the invasion and you go to hell but there's a, there's a clear story path as you go through the levels and um, plus you get the text between the major chapters uh, haven't really hit anything like that here but uh, i did just bring it up on wikipedia just before we started recording so apparently i'm a unnamed protagonist called ranger 
in the later games. <laughs> uh, who's sent into a portal to stop an enemy codenamed Quake. And it's something to do with government experimentation and a slipgate. And yeah, it's just basically Doom in a new skin. Um, Sounds like Half-Life. Yeah, that too, actually. Yeah, good point. And apparently Trent uh, Reznor... How do you pronounce his name? Trent Reznor. Yeah, Trent Reznor voices the protagonist in, in later entries. Um, <laughs> what? And he... he, he yeah. Uh, he did the soundtrack for this one, for the original one as well. Um, and when you pick up the ammo for the nail gun, it's got the Nine Inch Nails logo on it. That's the thing. The the one thing I am really enjoying is uh, seeing is that there's so much content for this one. Uh, so you get the you get the original Quake campaign, you get the two original DLC campaigns, and then there are two brand new campaigns made by Machine Games, who are the current custodians of the Wolfenstein series. Um, there's a lot to play through here. Um, also, there's mod support, um, so you can access Quake 64 here as an in-game download, which is technically a mod. Uh, so you download it, you activate it, and it takes over the main menu, and that's the only version you can start from the main menu while that mod is active. Um, so I, did, I didn't realize Quake 64 was actually a different game. Yeah, it's well, uh, I played through the first level of it, and it's got the same opening level with some adjustments. Like they've made certain parts of it shorter. Mm. Um, it's also good seeing how the geometry differs and how they've solved, like you know, memory problems and stuff on on the N sixty four. Like where there's a wall that could be curved in the original. Here it's just square, square block. Um, it also uh, starts off with N sixty four mod. Also starts off with worse graphics and a CRT filter. But like the gunplay actually feels better than my initial impressions of the original remaster. <laughs> uh, so I was I was actually having more fun with that for a while until I I turned off the auto aim on on the main game. The weird thing is that you can actually switch between the versions by loading your saves, even if the mod isn't active. So it it all feels a bit messy in its implementation there. So I don't I have no idea why they just didn't include uh, Quake sixty four. As part of the package, and it would have been a much rounder package, I guess. Um, Probably to no, kind I... of nudge people into the the whole in-game mod downloader, because yeah. it did did uh, the same thing with the Doom one and two re-releases mm-hmm. on Switch. Yeah, did they add that after release? Because I don't remember that. No, it's been there since the start. Hmm. Okay, I will look that up later, but. Uh... Yeah, the the only thing, the only mod that is on there at the moment is uh, Quake sixty four. So, yeah, so I'd expect um, like I'm... more community made. Mm-hmm. That's how you play Final Doom in the Doom ports. Yeah, that's true. I think. Oh yeah, well they just included that though, didn't they? As the package, it wasn't. No, you downloaded. Yeah, you download it through the in-game mod menu. Uh, they're separate, like Plutonia and TNT. They're different oh, mods. I, I missed the whole campaign then. God damn it. <laughs> it's okay, Andy. The, the thing but with both these games, it always surprises me just how playable they still are. You know, they're, they're incredibly old games, but they're still fun. And they still, like in the heat of combat, they still feel modern enough where it's, you know, it's not a jarring experience. God, how many games do we go? You know, we have fun memories of them we go back to and it's just, like the controls aren't as good as you think or it's just not much fun um these hold up incredibly well and you know um when uh xbox one originally started its backwards compatibility thing and wolfenstein 3d was one of those and i i I jumped on to start that for 10 seconds and i ended up you know playing it for six hours and and finishing the whole thing like it's it's just amazing even though it's like you know those early games aren't true 3d as we know it you know what i mean it's it's just it's just incredible how how the combat still holds i actually like them better for that reason mm-hmm. <laughs> <They're> like <laughs> scrolling rules <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah i'd like a wolfenstein port yeah that would that'd be, be really cool because cool. there's been like dlc for that too technically mm-hmm. yeah it's true what did they call them? Um, Expansion packs back then. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's always fun to to kill Nazis in this climate at the moment. It's never wrong to <laughs> cut that out. Don't, I don't want to endorse murder. <laughs> My lawyer has advised me not to comment on this matter. <laughs> <laughs> it's at least okay to punch Nazis. Give me that. Yeah. So yeah. So that's uh, that's those games. Uh, enjoying both a lot. Uh, I should have one finished soon. And then I'll uh, sorry I'll have Doom sixty four finished soon, and then I'll be moving on to Quake. So yeah, uh, Andrew, uh, Greek Memories of Azure. Uh, you've been playing this. the The screenshots looked uh, really pretty, and like something I would enjoy. Uh, how are you finding it? It is really pretty. I'll give it that. Uh, and I, I enjoyed this game. I, I did beat it, and I will get into the circumstances of doing that in a moment (laughs) but uh this game is called greek memories of of azer or azure uh i I kept calling it azur like the color uh but it's actually (laughs) greek g-r-e-a-k who is the main character and it's azur a-z-u-r which is the name of the continent that the characters live on uh it's the story of azur and this elf-like race of people called the corines they're white and they they glow with inner light and there's a there's a lot of talk about their light it like represents their life force they're very elf-like people and they're currently being invaded by these basically orcs called the erlags and there's a pretty big problem with that happening because the erlags are sacking all of the corine temples and the temples are powered by these crystals that keep this plague at bay and when the plague is allowed to run rampant when these crystals are powered down then these mud plague monsters will rise up and start attacking everything and the situation is not going well at the start of the game uh almost all of the corine are either dead or have already evacuated the continent and greek and his siblings are some of the last corines left on the continent and they are eventually all gathered in this last little holdout village where they are desperately trying to build an airship so they can escape as well and that's that's the basic point of the game is to build this airship and there are three playable characters there's greek his sister adara and his oldest brother raydell and all three of them you play with at the same time uh, they are all active simultaneously in a you know a Metroid style adventure platformer environment. They all have different abilities which interact with each other that you have to use to solve the different puzzles. Like Greek is the youngest; he's still a child, if not a preteen, and he can double jump and he can walk, climb walls. He has a sword and he has a crossbow. Uh, so he's he's not bad for fighting, but he's not as good as his oldest brother, Raydell, who is equipped with a shield that can block attacks and also, more importantly, block the lasers that block off certain areas of the game world. So you have to intercept those lasers so his siblings can get past it. And unfortunately, because of his heavy armor or just because he just doesn't know how, he cannot swim, unlike his siblings. And then there's Adara, who is trained in some kind of oracle school. The game doesn't go into great detail about what exactly is going on there, but something, something oracles. And she can use magic power to attack with magic projectiles, and she can also float very briefly. For not, not for very long, not to get her very far, but she has that ability. And you got to use all their powers in conjunction with each other to solve puzzles and get through each section of the game. It's uh, kind of like the Lost Vikings, kind of like uh, Trine but on a much larger scale. It's a more of an open world kind of situation versus Lost Vikings and Trine, which just has basic levels that you go from left to right to get to the end of. Now, this is an adventure platformer. I'm still going to describe it that way, but it's really much more mission-based in its structure versus just exploring the world and trying to find where you need to go next. You, you go out into an area... And you have a mission that you've already been given in town that you're supposed to accomplish there. You, Like the first mission you get, you got to find some ropes in the first area. That's This is very early in the game when, you, when you're only controlling Greek. And you find those ropes, you take them back to town, and then you need to find more stuff to 
get the airship built. And so you go out a little bit further, and that's when he meets Adara, and she gets added to the team, and the puzzles get a little more complicated. I'm still looking for more parts for the ship, though, and I find them, take them back to town, so on and so forth. That's basically the flow of the entire game. Uh, one interesting thing it does is it has an inventory system, and the inventory each character has is very small. Uh, so you, you can find mushrooms around or other things that you can cook in a pot, and cooking the items will make them much more effective for healing, but you also need to have inventory space in your bags to actually hold like plot items and keys and things like that. So I, I found myself shuffling items a lot, although... I will say that this game's difficulty is not on a level that I actually needed to heal all that often. So it wasn't as big a deal as I was worried it was going to be at the outset. But that system does exist, and I, I thought it was going to be interesting. Controlling all three of the characters was more of the problem that I was worried about. Uh, because Greek and Raydell, they can both double jump. And Adara can jump once, then does her little float thing. So moving all the characters at once, which you can do with the left trigger, it doesn't work very well because <laughs> this is a platformer. So you're jumping from platform to platform. And for me personally, at least I quite often, I double jump, which is fine for Greek and Raidel. They can keep up with each other. But then Adara is floating slowly along behind them and falls out of step. So I basically have to stop. I have to put everybody in the group back together in a close cluster so that way the jumps will work again and just getting across the game world just got kind of annoying after a while had to jump had to stop put everybody back together jump again <laughs> it, it got a little tedious and I, I was very concerned about how that was going to work in the long run and uh, there are also a few situations where you have to fight bosses while controlling all three characters at the same time and again I was very concerned about if that was going to become annoying after a while, but it really wasn't that bad to handle in the bosses that I beat because like one boss would chase after the characters and like wrap them up in like this mud bubble. And if he got all three of my characters, then that surely would have killed me, but uh, it would have been an instant game over, but he didn't have any ranged attacks. So I just let him mud bubble up Greek and Rydell and just played as Adara and just kept sniping him, <laughs> kept running away and then hitting him and then <laughs> running away again. It really wasn't that big a deal. And like all the other character, all the other fights where you had to control all three at the same time, there just, there really wasn't that much pressure on the situation where I had to switch between characters to get them out of trouble or to hit them in certain ways. It was a, it was a concern I had, but not one that I ultimately encountered. And that leads directly into the problem I did have with the game. It's very small. It's a very, very small game. Like, uh, I beat it, and I was like, wait, that was it? Because <laughs> the credits rolled. It's <laughs> like, wait, what just happened here? Uh, this is an adventure platformer, as I said. It's Metroid style. So, like, if you explore the world, you can find health upgrades for each character. I'm pretty sure there's only one health upgrade total for each character. And, like, I found a few extra items for Adara so she could swim underwater for as long as she wanted without running out of breath. That, yeah, yeah, that was that was pretty much it. <laughs> there's not a whole lot to this game, actually. I'm very disappointed to say because I, I did think what was there was pretty well made. Uh, and I, I wanted to play more. Uh, I, I, I have to say... I think it's a technically complete game. It tells a complete story. Like, there's a problem. You, you, they need this airship to escape. They build the airship. They escape. That That's a story. That It's not a very interesting story. There's literally no twist to it, but they do that. And it, it capitalizes on all its concepts. Like, it has three characters. You got you to gotta work with them as a team to solve puzzles, you know, and you spend, you know, a couple hours with all three of them together. Uh, I really liked what I, what I played of it, but it feels, and I thought a lot about these words that I wanted to use, and these are the words I decided on, it feels abortive and unfinished. Uh, this is kind of hard to talk about, uh, especially on a podcast, but like on a game design level, 
you can kind of imagine it kind of like storytelling where game design starts off simple simply and then builds concepts on top of itself and kind of builds towards like a climax of like the ultimate synthesis of all these ideas coming together and creating like a really cool idea and a, a puzzle or a boss fight you know the really great games do this really great like uh doom 2016 i think is a good example it builds to a crescendo on all of its combat systems by the by the final level and then it then it ends uh, but and then you got the longer games that go on for way too long like you feel like i've already done this i've already seen this uh this is not building on anything new this is just content trademark symbol and those can get kind of annoying after a while greek has the opposite problem it, it never reaches that climax it ends two missions after you get rydell like once you have all three together there's literally only two more levels to finish it feels like the prologue to a longer game that doesn't exist yet or was never made or they wanted to make and couldn't for some reason like, uh, there's a lot of stuff here that I really like and I wanted to see more of. My problem is that, uh, I didn't see it because it's not here. So once the <laughs> siblings escape from Ozer and they go off to this new continent, which we never go to, we never see, but it's, it's where they're putting all their hopes on on things being better. Like, what happens to them there? I feel like that question was supposed to be in this game because, like, uh, from a game design perspective, this game is not finished, I feel. Uh, but <laughs> once once you leave the continent, the game is over. Like, this feels like act one of a, <laughs> of a three-act story. <laughs> and uh, I'm disappointed act two and three aren't here. Uh, maybe you'll get a follow-up called... Uh... Adara and the disappointing of disappointment of the new continent. Yeah, I just hope that uh, I don't have to pay thirty <laughs> bucks for it because I already paid thirty <laughs> bucks for this one. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I'd like a complete game with the first time I pay for it, please. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, uh, the the money thing is a good segue. Uh, a game I've been playing this week, uh, past couple of days, is called Football Tactics and Glory which is a game the developer Crow Team calls XCOM meets Football Manager. Uh, I'm calling it Footy Emblem instead. I really, really wanted this on Switch for my Switch Lite, um, but I ended up getting it on PC. The reason comes down to dollars. So the normal price for this on Steam is around 30 bucks, uh, and I got it from Humble Bundle for $17.00. Uh, the Switch price is $60, which is double the price of the PC version. So that's one hell of a, a Switch tax right there. Uh, so I've wishlisted it in the hope that one day it'll go on sale, but uh, it hasn't yet. So as far as I understand from my research, uh, the Switch port runs perfectly fine and uh, you know does everything that the, the PC version does. So... Uh, yeah, that, that's my disclaimer. So technically on PC, but you can get it on Switch and I believe it's okay if you want to pay that money for it. Football Tactics and Glory is a turn-based strategy game with a football skin. Uh, so you go through a season, you play matches where uh, your team gets three moves uh, on a pitch that's split into a grid. This is where the Fire Emblem comparisons come in. Uh, all players have like movement, you know, a set amount of movement they can move, you know, so many squares around where they are. Uh, they all have individual skills that you can use in certain situations. They're all football skills, so uh, you can do nutmegs. So for people who don't know football, this is where you just kick the ball through someone's legs and then run past them. Uh, there's high passes, rainbow feints, cannon shots. And if you successfully do these, then you'll get an extra turn. Like, they don't cost you anything. Because it's a strategy game with uh, a strong RPG uh, side to it, players have individual stats. Uh, so you can't just use those skills at any time with anyone. Um, and a lot of them are situational based on how the other team is, is set up and where they are and... Uh, the state, even things down to like the state of the pitch, you'll have different conditions based on on the type of square you're on. How successful your skills are also depend on the opposition's stats and their positioning. So if you're trying to sh take a shot at the goal, 
and there's three defenders around it and the ball's taking a path through a couple of them and they could all conceivably move into it, uh, then you're probably not going to be successful. Um, it's one of those where you have to like, you know, click on click to do the action you want to do and really weigh up uh, the probability of the thing coming off based on the information it gives you. So far, the the tactic side of it is really fun. Um, trying to you know score a goal within your three turns before the the other team win the ball off you and have have a go themselves. Um, the matches are pretty short, uh, which is another reason why this would have been a great addition for my Switch Lite because I could have chipped away at it. With PC games, I I struggle. Well, actually, no strategy games on uh, non-portable consoles, I tend to struggle to get through. A lot of that can be down to, you know, if matches go on forever. Uh, and Andrew and I have discussed this before, where if we're playing like a ta- uh, tactical game where matches take forever, we f- you can find it draining. Um, regardless of if you, if you win or not, it's like you'll finish a game and then you'll be like, whoa, don't want to do that for a little bit. Because um, they're quite short, that kind of circumvents that, but also that would, that would make it perfect for uh, handheld play. Being a football game, you know, they, they've said it, it mixes XCOM strategy with football manager. There is a management aspect, so your players will get tired over the course of a match. You have to know when to sub them out uh, because that them being tired will cause a drain on, on their stats and their abilities. Uh, you earn money by winning games and by completing uh, challenges. So one of the challenges I've got at the moment is to do three rainbow feints. That carries on across game so you'll you know you'll get it eventually kind of thing um you use that money then to buy new and better players to sort of move up the the table you know you can also lose players to injury if they take a bad tackle now on the stats thing players level up much like units in fire emblem do you know with every win they'll earn xp i think they get more if they're more involved in the match every new level you actually get to select uh, a new skill on the skill tree and you, you can uh level those up a number of times as well to give you more benefits um it's really fun trying to create your team and and gear it uh for how you want to play i'm a couple of hours in i I, uh enjoying it a hell of a lot i do have the slight concern that it's been very easy so far like it teaches me how to use the skills but then i've i've not really had to rely on them a lot in matches it's a very very good and different take on the whole idea of uh football as a sport um and i actually think you would like this one the subject matter aside so certain are you <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah i know tori's not a 10 based strategy game person so that <laughs> probably not for you probably not but the only soccer sim game that i liked was on the 3ds what was it pocket football club or something yeah, that's so much fun. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so far, a little on the easy side, but I'm interested to see how that goes. I think it's going to be a point where if it starts getting difficult, that's when I really start need to investing in new players and better players or figure out how to best uh, level them up. Um, the art style is, is something as well, actually, while I think about it. It's uh, big-headed football uh, character models you, you know in like the old traditional football games where you'd have the cheat code to give them bobbleheads it's kind of like that kind of creepy but <laughs> very good though um, the the thing that put me off trying it earlier was actually just the, the cover art which had this very um, 90s football game approach to it I don't know why that, that put me off but <laughs> that's a thing but yeah so if it, if it goes on sale on Switch I'll, I'll probably pick it up depending on how much of a saving i can get on that uh just you know when it's available on other platforms for a lot cheaper it just didn't feel worth worth the asking price of that and the last game that i'm going to talk about this week is uh, necro brister which i did buy after i said i would last week uh, i'm a few hours in i don't have a, a great deal of insight part of that is because i don't really want to spoil some of the stuff for people um being so heavily story focused is something that you kind of need to experience but um let's talk about the setting this is set in a underground coffee house in melbourne 
called The Terminal, uh, which is a place where the dead get to spend the final 24 hours in the world of the living before they pass on to the other side. Uh, the coffee house is run by Maddie uh, and a small group of other people. Uh, and what they're doing here is kind of dodgy. Like the clues in the name, Necrobarista. It's kind of against the rules of what they're calling the Council of Death, with whom they they claim to have a debt, and there are definite tensions there um, between the two parties. Uh, Maddie has recently taken over cafe ownership and is super stressed when we uh, pick up the game with her. There's another character who's a little girl called Ashley. She's terrifying. Uh, and she basically hangs around the coffee shop trying to build killer robots for a show called Row Battle Royale. Uh, and she ropes customers in to helping her, who all end up terrified of her. And then there's a there's other characters. There's a, a guy called Che, who's I think he's the former owner, and he kind of just sort of looks after the place and takes care of everyone. The coffee shop has a number of rules. I'll go over a couple of them just to give you an idea of what it's about. Both the living and dead are allowed, uh, and they're served in the order they arrive. Uh, you're never to ask who's alive, because it's rude. Uh, the dead can stay for 24 hours before passing on. Uh, and there are a bunch more, but, you know, I, I kind of want people to explore the writing here as as intended. Um, the game itself, it's so far it's mostly been a visual novel, so it's a lot of it is just reading the story as it unfolds um and instead of the traditional 2d cutouts and text boxes as you usually get in visual novels it's played out in like really stylishly directed 3d scenes occasionally through dialogue you'll have the option for a keyword which is highlighted in yellow and these are pretty much terry pratchett footnotes uh with extra content or context uh or humorous side notes on whatever the characters are talking about uh, the writing so far is really witty, it's funny, it's also dark and serious when it needs to be. Um, slight disclaimer, I'm on friendly terms with the, the writer, so, you know, um, I, I think I'm objective enough to say whether I would like it or not. Um, definitely enjoying this a lot, regardless uh, of, you know, that history. Um, it will break up the visual novel stuff with first-person sections, these are, like, they're called memories you go around finding memories around the coffee shop during intermissions um these tend to just be like extra little side stories about the characters or things that have happened in the in the cafe um it's it's pretty much just me walking around the cafe and looking for an interactable item and then you hold the a button on it and then it will bring up the extra text it's definitely a visual novel first and foremost um so it's not like we we had that discussion last week where we were all very interested in this and but we didn't know what the loop was or the gameplay loop it's definitely a, a story first um rather than something that's deeply interactive although there are bits here and there of uh surprise interactions but you know i, I won't go too far into that so uh, as to avoid spoilers I, I think that stuff should come up naturally as you play it um so i think for most people it's just going to boil down to if you enjoy reading a good story with stylish visuals you're going to like this a lot um if you're looking for something that's more traditionally video gamey you're probably not going to get anything out of it um the other thing i have to mention is the music is just phenomenal um instantly my favorite soundtrack of the year it just I, i'm enjoying it a lot i didn't know what i was expecting going in um, I think a lot of people who go in not expecting what it is might be disappointed that there's you know you know there's no game or no challenge or yeah um, yeah elements like that. On the other hand, it's so well written it's hard to be to be mad. Um, Andrew, you you as we said you know you're in that thing where you didn't know what the game was. Does that make you more interested or less interested? About the same. I mean, like I said, I was interested in the game just for its reputation. I just mm -hmm. was a little dismayed that they made a trailer that didn't, to my standards, show what the game actually is, <laughs> what mm -hmm. activities you do. I was I was more commenting on the trailer than the game. So. Yeah. 
it's fine. Yeah, there's there's a lot of um, you know you're just pressing A to move the dialogue along. Uh, I've had no choices to make or anything like that. So we we alluded to it being similar in theme to Coffee Talk, mm. uh, whereas you know it doesn't really have that element. Like in in that you had to try and make the perfect coffee for the customer. Like absolutely none of that here. But uh, yeah, just I, I'm very entertained so far, so I, I'm I'm not too mad. Uh, Tori, what about you? Um, I mean, I just finished a game that was also very dialogue heavy, and surprisingly, really enjoyed the dialogue. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm I've been keeping an eye on this one. Um, I mean, if you like it, I'll probably like it too in terms of writing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I probably pick it up at some point when I have some free time on the backlog. Yeah, I mean, we we both liked uh, Catherine, problematic content notwithstanding. Um, <laughs> yeah. It, it, it kind of feels like that, but without the the puzzly elements. Yeah. Then, yeah, um, not everything has to be a, a challenging game. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you can just have an experience. Yeah, um, and I think like the story, without getting too deep into it, kind of falls in line with what... Uh, Andrew probably experienced with Spiritfarer. Uh, I think it's got similar themes, which uh, uh, I'm getting, uh, at least in this early portion anyway, um, about the process of, you know, of death and, and moving on and letting go and, and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, um, I'm actually going to play more of it, so I'm uh, going to get back to that after we finish here. Okay, uh, I think that's it for the episode. Okay, what are we playing in the coming week? Tori, let's start with you. So I've been holding off on finishing Skyward Sword and Monster Hunter Stories 2 until I finished Neo Twiwi, which is now done. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm up to the Ancient Cistern in Skyward Sword, so I think I'm up to the good part. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I've also re-downloaded the original The World Ends With You. I'm going to give it another shot. Hopefully I can not hate the gameplay now that i mm-hmm. am invested in the world um, i feel like at the very least you could just put it on easy and breeze through it yeah just I, so you can enjoy the story that might be the way to go i think i've been spoiled on some stuff by playing neo but whatever mm-hmm. i don't care about spoilers but i also picked up quake i want to play quake nice um, i'm waiting for a big sale on quake just like i did with doom <laughs> I will be going back to Monster Hunter Stories too after I've done with uh, A Link to the Past. Nice. Just, uh, knocking, knocking that out on the, the Switch Lite. So. Uh, Andrew, what will you be playing? Uh, there's a indie top-down action-adventure game called Arietta of Spirits due out. Uh, haven't quite decided if I want to get it. It looks interesting, but I'm going to kind of base my decision off of impressions i see when it reaches launch from other people uh and if not I'm, i might grab axiom verge too because i want to get through that i want to grip my teeth and get it done so i can i can move <laughs> on with my life <laughs> <laughs> okay for me uh i'm playing i've gone from playing a lot of long games at once to playing a lot of short games at once so i feel i'm in a better position than i was a couple of weeks ago so i'm gonna try and uh smash through the things i've been talking about today pretty much um next big release on the horizon really is warioware i think isn't it oh yeah i think there's a demo way up for it now too yeah i haven't checked that out i kind of want to hold off <laughs> warioware spoilers yeah yeah and 10 years ago i would play any demo that came out and now i'm just like oh no not something else to take my time <laughs> I'll play it if it would take half an hour to beat it. Yeah. So yeah, uh yeah, that's coming out on the tenth of September. So yeah, looking forward to that one. Okay, so that's it for episode one sixty four. 
if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us get noticed. You can also listen on Stitcher, Spotify, and other podcast services. Uh, make sure to check out our sister shows, PlayState and The Power of X. No prizes for guessing what consoles those podcasts focus on. Uh, we're all part of the Game Podular network, uh, so make sure to join our Game Podular Discord server to interact with our lively community. You can follow us on Twitter, YouTube, and at GamePodular.com for updates, news, and other content. Links for all that stuff is in the show notes. If you'd like to support our shows, uh, you can buy us a coffee or become a Game Podular Patreon. Details for both of these things are on our website. Huge thanks in advance. This episode was edited by Andrew, uh, and you can follow him over on Twitter at PlayCritically. You can also read his long-form reviews over at PlayCritically.com. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at FlameRoastToast. And Tori is at Stew2. That's S-T-W-T-W-O. Buttholes everywhere, you would just not have expected that.